it is a real blessing in my life. Um, to be a pastor, um, if for no other reason, there's lots of reasons, but uh, you're, you're kind of put in a situation where you're kind of forced to study more. Does that make sense? And have obligations a couple times a week. And uh, sometimes it's not a great thing. I'll be transparent with you. Sometimes it's, it's work. And other times... I get such a blessing that my prayer and my hope is that I can just convey a small part of that. And if you've ever done a deep study into the Word, spent time with God, you've experienced the same thing. And you try and tell somebody and it just doesn't, doesn't do it justice. Um, this half of a chapter has been that way for me. Um, it's been a rich blessing to be able to study it, and I hope that I can in some ways impart just a small part of it um, to you all as we go through it. We're going to continue in Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. We're going to pick up where we left off last Sunday. If you haven't heard or listened to that one, I encourage you to do that. This will be a, a fairly short but a series nonetheless on the first half of Second Peter chapter 1. So I want to begin, I want to, as I did last week, I want to read Second Peter, first chapter, first half of the chapter, just to set the stage and put us in remembrance of what it is that we're discussing. It reads as follows, it says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained a like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that has called us to His glory and virtue, whereby we are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound... They make you that you shall neither be, neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly, into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you into remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put it off this tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. And so that is the first 15 
verses of 2 Peter chapter 1. A quick review, we really, I told you it's going to be slow, we only got through the first three verses last week, and unless something dramatically changes, we're only going to get through a verse and a half today. That's because there's a lot here to unpack and for us to really understand. And again, it's the beauty of the scriptures, that it's alive, it's living. The scriptures itself tells us this, and the Spirit reveals it to us, that we can spend time reading these scriptures and studying them and connecting them with other things that the scriptures told us, taking them in and pondering them and realizing the truth and the value that they have in our lives. And it is a beautiful and a wonderful work that the Spirit of God performs in our hearts and our minds when we take in the scripture. We're reminded that in verse 1, Simon Peter is writing to those um, who are of like precious faith. And we are encouraged and reminded that this like faith means the same faith that Peter had, the same experience that Peter had to come to saving grace of Jesus Christ thousands of years later is just like ours. That we can have access to the same Spirit of God that Peter had access to and did amazing and wonderful things. That we can through the same precious faith, something that we value highly, something that's precious is something we want to hold on to. We don't want to lose. We want to take advantage of it. And we have and share that same precious faith that Peter had and all the saints of old had. And we still have that today. We're reminded that grace and peace, Peter prayed, would be multiplied to us. And we talked about how that's multidimensional. And it's more than just adding something, multiplying, grows something vastly. And so we ask the question, is grace and peace been multiplied in your life? Do you seek that? Do you think that you deserve that? It's a challenging question sometimes, isn't it? Do we deserve to have grace and peace be multiplied to us? The answer is, if you know Jesus Christ, absolutely. That's what he desires to do. And it gives him great pleasure to feed the little flock that he has here. We're reminded in verse 3 that he's given us everything needed for life and for godliness. Everything we need to be good people, if you will, to follow after him, he has given us. There is nothing that we have to seek after. There is no hidden gospel. There's no hidden truth. He has revealed everything to us. And it's only our duty to grow more in that. But everything is laid before us. There's no hidden agenda. There's no levels of... Christianity. There's closer walks, but that's not anything that's hidden. And through this, through his divine power, he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And he's given it through the knowledge of him that has called us to his glory. It's his glory and his virtue that gives us access to all of these things. And we are called through our knowledge. And again, we talked last week that that is about our deep, interpersonal, experiential knowledge. That's not a head knowledge. That is a deep and abiding knowledge of who God is. And that's what he desires for us is to have that knowledge. And so we spent whole 40 minutes last week just studying these three verses. And then we're going to look today at the next four. And so we look at verse four, it begins and it says, whereby, at least in the King James, your translation may say through these or and because of, or by which, or for by these, 
And again, it carries with the idea that we are continuing a thought here. It's why it's so important to read the scriptures in large groups, because we see here that what uh, Peter is expressing to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that given all of these circumstances, right, the grace and peace that's multiplied to us, the personal knowledge that we have of God, the fact that God is giving us everything we need to live a good life and to be righteous, because of all of this, whereby or because of, or through all of these things, then he continues on this thought that we are to study. Whereby, whereby what? Whereby God's glory and grace. Whereby the promise that he's going to give us, as we see here, whereby his virtue that is precious, as we see. So whereby all these things, considering all these things are given unto us, Exceedingly great and precious promises. So considering all of this, we are given something. A really, really great promise. A great promise. A precious promise. One that is better than any promise you could get. We might even think about when we were uh, younger and someone would promise to take us somewhere to do something with us or to buy something for us. Maybe as adults, we don't do this with each other, you know, as much, but take yourself back to when you were younger and you were promised to go here or something. You would be excited. There was an anticipation to get to go and to do this thing or to receive this gift or to have this special meal or whatever it is. But everything we could possibly think of in life pales in comparison to the promise that Jesus Christ gives us through his life and through the scriptures. And so even if someone was to walk in here and say, I promise to give you millions of dollars, it doesn't compare to the promise that Jesus Christ gives us. Someone could walk in here today and say, I, I, I promise to give you someday this beautiful home or this job promotion or this skill or whatever it is. But brothers and sisters, listen to me. All things on this earth are nothing compared to the precious promise that Jesus Christ gives us, not only for how we can live with him on earth now, but what it will be like someday. And when we put all of that into perspective, the promises of this world pale in comparison to the beautiful things that God has prepared for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so these exceedingly great and precious promises. I want to talk about just a couple of them for a minute. We are promised many things in the scripture. We are promised reconciliation. We are promised adoption. We are promised redemption. Who promises that? Well, God the Father does. And by whom does he promise it? His son, Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice. You see, because of Christ's sacrifice, we are promised to be reconciled with God. We are promised to have the wall that separates us from God removed completely. We are promised to no longer be enslaved to our sin, but to be adopted and set free as God's own children. This is the beautiful and precious promise that we are given today, that we can know him and the free pardon of sin, that we can be restored or reconciled. So there's no doubt all of us, young and old alike, have experienced times when we've had relationships not gone according to plan. And there is a need to 
reconcile, to forgive, to come back together. And sometimes through our own pride, we refuse to do that. You ever been in that situation? I know I should forgive this person, but I don't want to. See, the problem is we need forgiveness from God. But the only way to get that is with his blessing, because we are the ones who have sinned or trespassed against him. And God, through his blessing, gave us an opportunity to be reunited, to be reconciled, to make things right. And that was the sacrifice of his son. And that is the precious gift that he gives us. The ability to consider that we can be reunited. I'll read a few verses or one verse in support of this. John 14, 23. And Jesus answered, if any man loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our dwelling place with him or in him. See, we had this most amazing, precious promise possible that if we would come to God in faith and receive him as our savior, if we would confess our sins and put our faith in him and be saved by him, that God himself will send the spirit of God to live inside of me. I don't have to go through this world alone. I don't have to guess about what I should do or which direction I should go, the things that I should or shouldn't do. I can depend on the Spirit of God who lives inside of me. And what greater way to unify me with God than to have His Spirit set inside of me? What a precious, precious promise. But if we would but come to Him seeking forgiveness, He will forgive us and set His Spirit inside of us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed by the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Or your translation may say from glory to glory. Again, it contains this idea of multiplication. That we are being changed as who we are from one thing into something better. And we're changed not only into a better self, but we're changed by looking to the face of God into something better. Are you being changed? Do you know the Lord? And have you grown in glory? Not your own glory, but in His glory. Are you closer to Him now than you were when you were saved? And this applies to someone who's been saved a few weeks or months ago and someone who's been saved for 40, 50, 60 years. Have you been changed? Are you looking into His glory? Have you experienced this great, precious promise that He died to give us? Whereby we are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promise that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. What does it mean to be a partaker What does it mean to be a partaker? What does that mean that says that we might be partakers of his divine nature? Well, to understand that, we have to understand that I've hinted to it already, our nature. Our nature is one of rebellion. Our nature is one of pride. All the way in the beginning, you look at the sin that entered the world. Pride was huge. Pride. Pride against God. Pride against others. We are self-centered. We are arrogant. We have envy. 
You see, our nature as fallen men and women who live in this world is one of sin, one of wrong, one of corruption. Oh, it's not to say that we can't do good things from time to time, and some of us may appear to be better than others as far as we judge goodness, but let us not forget and let us not fool ourselves into thinking that at the core and the very basic nature of who we are is evil. It is pride. It is envy. It is lust. It is desire after things that we should not have. It is desire after things that belong to others. It is desire after things that belong only to God. Brothers and sisters, we are at our core nature sinful, rotten, not good people. Our society tries to tell us that we're all good, but Scripture clearly says otherwise. And when we really stop and think about it, it's not too hard to come to that conclusion as well. And so we have a very negative, bad nature. And this nature prohibits us from fellowshipping with God because he has all the exact opposite qualities. He is love. He is truth. He is grace. He is virtue. He is faith. He is, he is, he is. And we spend a long time looking at what he is. And when we compare the two natures, our nature with his, we see that we have a real problem. And what we see is that we cannot fellowship with God because of our nature and because of his pure and holy nature. And holy means set apart. We are not like him in that sense. Because of that, we are separated from him. But when we're saved, we are radically transformed and can begin to take on his nature. You see, we will not reach it unto perfection in this lifetime, but what happens is God gives us the ability to as we move through life, to set aside our sin and to pursue the nature and the attributes that are more like him, the ones we're getting ready to read about if I ever get there. The point that I want you to understand is this. Our nature is not good and his nature is perfect. And the promise that he gives us is that we can partake in his divine nature, that we can be more like him. And someday we will be like him in the sense that we will be free from sin and in God's presence living eternally. That is a precious promise that he has that he is trying to express here to us, that we should seek after this. That these promises and their fulfillment, that we get to partake in these. 2 Corinthians 3.18 reminds us that we are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Again, Ephesians 4.24, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, the true and righteous and holy. 1 Peter 1.23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. In Hebrews 3.14, For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast until the end. You see, understand that we get to partake, we get to have a small part of the amazing, perfect attributes of God. And those things should be growing in us as believers the entire time we go through our lives until such point that we reach perfection. And God can finally wipe away once and for all the sin that is in our bodies because we will leave them behind. We will no longer be enslaved to sin, but have power on high to conquer sin. 
And so it's a very serious question that we have. Are you a partaker of God's precious promise? Have you received the promise that he gave to all of us? Because it's open to all of us. The only question is, will we get in our own way? Will we fall back on our pride and our lust for things of this world and our sinful nature? Or will we come bowing before an almighty God saying, I do not deserve to be loved by you, but I am. I have sinned against you. I have done everything wrong. And all I want to do is beg for your forgiveness so that I can be reconciled, that I can be adopted, that I can be redeemed from something that is not your nature and take on just a little bit of who you are as I finish this life. Do we see the power that is in these few verses? Do we understand and see and begin to see this precious faith? Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God, of Jesus our Lord, according to his divine power, has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that called us to his glory whereby are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. See, we have an option to escape the things that weigh us down. We have an option to allow God to come into our lives as he promised that he would and to renew us and make us more like him if we will invite him in and if we will allow him to do his work work. And when we consider all of this, when we think about this world and all that goes on and however many years that God gives us to live on this earth, it brings us to a very important question that Peter presents in chapter 3, verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, the first few verses before that he talks about the world, what manner of person Ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? It echoes a question Ezekiel asked in his time. It's Ezekiel 33 and 10. What manner of person ought we to be? It's an interesting question, isn't it? When we realize our nature and God's nature, when we realize that he wants to transform us from who we are, which is not good, into someone that is more like him, and then that precious promise not only to transform us, but to live inside of us and guide us, and then eventually to take us to heaven and make us completely pure, it begs the question, what manner of person ought you to be in all holy conversation and goodness? How should you live your life? Oh, brothers and sisters, if we would only but realize the gift that we've been given, the privilege that we have to know him, would we not live our lives differently? Would we set aside the silly things that we do, the concerns and the worries that we have, this frenetic busyness that we have, the time that we waste doing things that are not profitable? Because the only thing we can't get back is time. How then should we live? Well, he answers this in the next few verses. Peter, through the Spirit of God, tells us how we should live. So let me go on. And for the sake of time, like I said, I'm going to get halfway through verse 5. 
we're not going to get all the way there today. So I hope that you're holding all this in mind, that I'm doing a somewhat adequate job and the Spirit is taking over in your hearts and your minds to teach you what these first few verses are saying so that you can hold them in your mind and see and understand what's coming next, so that you see the full counsel of God, that you understand what is being said here. So we'll go on to verse 5. Let me read verse 4 into verse 5, and I'll stop. Just, again, I I want everyone to understand how we're proceeding here. Whereby, remember it says, Therefore, given the earlier things we said, are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promise, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust, and besides this, give all diligence and add to your faith. Now, and besides this is a King James translation, or you could read another translation that says, for this very reason, or in view of this, or because of these things. Again, Peter is giving us a very logical step-by-step way to understand what God is trying to tell us. Because of all this, or in view of the fact that we have this precious promise of exceedingly great things, that we can partake of Christ's divine nature and put off the old self because of all these things. He tells us to give all diligence. To give all diligence. What does it mean to be diligent? You know, I had in my mind what I thought to be diligent was. I tend to be a fairly I think, diligent person. You could say maybe thorough, somebody who pays attention to details. Somebody who works hard at a certain thing. And it means all those things. It means all the things that you might think being diligent means paying close attention, being careful about the things that you do. But it also means haste or being quick. In fact, if you look through the scripture, more often the word diligence implies some type of quick action than it does being slow and methodical. Now, we are certainly to be methodical in the way that we consider our lives and areas that need to come up to par with what God would have for us, areas where we need to work on. But I think what is being encouraged here and seems appropriate given the way this verse is structured and so many other times this word is used in Scripture, that we are simply being reminded that this isn't something we just put off until tomorrow or next week. No, these are things that we do now. We do them with haste. We do them quickly. And we do them diligently in the sense that we do them carefully and purposefully and with great thought and precision. But this idea that we can just simply put it off leads to putting it off another day and another day. Many of us, or some of us, through our lives have put off the most amazing day, which is salvation. We have had times in our lives when God has dealt with us and called us unto him, and we said, "Mm, tomorrow. See people in Scripture doing that. Come again tomorrow. Let me think about this. We've been called by God after salvation to do certain things, and we've put them off. How many of us, you can raise your hand if you want to, have felt the Lord specifically lead us to do something, maybe something small, to call someone to do something, and we've put it off only to realize We should have been more diligent because there was a need 
then. Your word of encouragement was needed when God prompted your soul to pray for that person and to call them or to text them. Your action was needed at that time. We can put off things. We can fail to be diligent. But we are reminded here that we are to be diligent. We are to make sure that we are eager and swift. We cannot neglect this. We cannot put this off until we're old enough. I had a conversation with somebody just yesterday about this. They were putting something off until it was the right time. When is the right time to grow in faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity? Right now. That's the time. Because as I said earlier, it's the only thing we don't get back. You can't go back and do that again. You can't go back and be kind to someone. You can be kind to them after being short and mean to them, but you can't go back and be kind the first time. And we must remember how we are to treat each other, how we are to live, how we are to view God. All of it is to be done now with haste, given everything that I just said, given the precious gift, the precious faith that we have together united in God, because of the knowledge, because of our personal and close, intimate, experiential relationship that we have with them. Because of all these things, we should act, and we should act now, giving haste to add to our faith. Now let me pause. As you see, we're going very methodically. (laughs) Not being too hasteful. And beside this, giving all diligence, add. Now here comes a word that seems very easy, add. Very short, three letters. I'm going to spend a few minutes talking about this three-letter word because it doesn't quite mean what you might think that it means. And this is where I was really quite moved. So besides this, giving all diligence, it says, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and bound, they make you that you shall never be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so these graces are important and vital to who we are. And the scripture says that we are to add them. Your translation may say supplement, or another may say minister unto them. As I began to research this word, I found the most peculiar thing said about it. Some translations or some commentators said this is talking about holding hands. Well, that's kind of strange. That got me looking because that seemed a little awkward. And so as I began to continue looking, others said that this may be a metaphor, an ancient metaphor, the original word here for dancing. Now, I know Baptists don't dance much. But the idea that is expressed here is the idea that you're dancing hand in hand, as in your holding hands. Or another way that it could be interpreted, again, uh, ancient metaphor, is that um, we're helping to hold one another up. You might interpret it as to lead in a dance or to contribute in a chorus. And again, I was just really confused for 
What is the scripture trying to tell us? What is God trying to tell us with this little tiny word in between this long intro and the real meat of what we're talking about here? And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. You ever been moved, I mean emotionally, maybe spiritually, by seeing a performance? You ever been moved listening to a musical piece? A few weeks ago, we were in Stockholm at the City Hall, which is a beautiful building. Brick interior room, beautiful stone floors. And as we sat there for the ceremony of what was going on, they had a point when they had two singers come out and sing opera. And as the one began, and then the woman echoed and began, and then they moved from one side of the building to come together, and they moved as one unit, telling a story. I had no idea what the story was. It was in Latin or German. I don't know. But as I listened to their voices echo in harmony, And I watched their movements together as they came down this beautiful staircase and sang what I'm assuming is a wonderful love song. It moved me. Because I saw the harmony and the beauty of the two who came together for one single purpose. You ever experienced that? You ever sat and listened to a concert or even just a piano piece? And listen to all the intricate parts that come together and move us because it all comes as one. If Sister Judy was to sit there and just play a single note over and over and over again with the same tempo, the same rhythm, it wouldn't move us like the way she's able and gifted to play that beautiful instrument. I love to hear solos. I love the trumpet played the trumpet. But if I just played the same note, would it be beautiful? Not as much as when I take full range. And it's not as beautiful, I will contend, as when you join in another instrument or an entire orchestra. And we begin to see the moving and the flowing of these things working together hand in hand, you see. Whether it is an amazing dance. Anybody watch the Olympics? You ever caught yourself during some of, the, some of the, the floor exercises or some of the others just in awe of how they move? It's amazing. And so I think that what this verse is trying to tell us is these things that are getting ready to be listed, they're not listed singly, they're listed together. We shouldn't just seek after knowledge or patience We should seek after all of them because when they all work together, we see the beauty of it. When you listen to a great piece of music and it all comes together, the singing or the playing, it is phenomenal and beautiful and moves us and rightfully should because we see the beauty of the rhythm and the tone and the pitch and the harmony. When we see a dance that is phenomenal and amazing, We see the movement of two people together, and it is beautiful. 
When we look just simply at nature and we see even humans interacting with nature. Y'all already know I'm quite the softy. You probably didn't know I like to listen to classical music and, you know, enjoy the occasional ballet, etc. You know, one thought I, I couldn't get out of my mind, and this may only make sense to a few, but I'm going to say it anyway. I don't know why I think it's really beautiful, but have you ever seen a horse galloping and do a lead change where it changes tempos and legs? It's amazing. And I probably didn't say that right. But when horse and rider work together, it's amazing. And so the point, whatever hopefully something made you think of that's beautiful, when people and things are working together, I want us to understand that what the scripture is saying, and when it says, uh, and besides all this, giving all diligence, all haste, add to your faith, it's saying all these things work beautifully together. You see, when we are patient, when we have temperance, when we are godly, when we have brotherly love, when we have love in general, when all of these things work together, it is beautiful. And what it is, it's like a beautifully choreographed dance or a wonderfully orchestrated symphony or a beautiful person, an animal working together or a wonderful ballet. And we can see the beauty of the rhythm and the way that all these things work together. What's more amazing is the same word is used again in verse 11. It's used again in verse 11. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly provided to you. That same word abundantly is the same word that we just talked about. So picture this. Keep with me. A beautiful dance, a beautiful song, a beautiful activity of two or more people working together to produce something that's amazing, harmony, and beautiful. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, we all try to do our best to sing together, and we mess it up. Some of us don't sing very well. Some of us can't keep time. Trust me, I've tried. I can't dance to save my life. I can't ride a horse. I can't do a lot of things that I find beautiful. I can't play the piano, but I absolutely love it. I admire it. Brothers and sisters, you will fail. You're going to fail at love. You're going to fail at virtue. You are going to fail at knowledge. You are going to fail at brotherly affection. You're definitely going to fail at patience. Oh, but when we enter the kingdom of heaven. See, when there is no more failure, 
When we all come before God, when it says in verse 11, when we enter into and are ministered to the same idea, we will all be on the same page of music. We will all be able to dance at the same level. And won't that be beautiful? If we can be moved by the things that we see on this earth, if we can be amazed by a symphony, if we can be moved by how people move together in performances, imagine what it will be like when we come into the very presence of God and no longer do we have to worry about whether I'm on pitch or on key, whether I'm half a step behind, but we will all be united together in these things. They will finally be perfected in Him. That new song that we sing, whether you can sing now or not, you'll be on key, on pitch, on time, all those things. It will be amazing because we will all be without the hindrances and the burdens of sin that keep us shackled here on earth and we will be set free before an almighty God and able to worship Him as one, by one, for one. Won't that be exciting? If I can be moved by performances here on earth that are flawed, Can you imagine standing before an almighty God, all of us singing together a new song that we don't know yet, a new song that we don't know what it is in a language we may not even now know or be able to speak, but we will praise God all together, all at once in perfection. That is what God wants to give us when we enter into his kingdom. And that is what he is telling us we are to do now with the gifts that we have. We should strive to be faithful, have virtue and knowledge, patience, temperance, godliness, brotherly kindness and charity. This isn't a race. It isn't, well, I'm really good at love, but I'm not so good at patience. No, we must seek all of them. We must Encourage all of them, and we must do it with haste. We must be in tune. We must be working together. All of these graces that we'll be studying add one to another. They're not in order as in one is greater than the other. They are gathered somewhat by nature and that one gives rise to the other. But it's not that one is more important than others. And so as we read these verses, if you see one that you excel at, fantastic. If you see one that you need to work on, you need to work on it. Because just like you would notice, if you're listening to a beautiful orchestra and one instrument is off, we're out of tune, we're out of time, you'll know. So brothers and sisters, as we think about adding, as we think about holding hands, as we think about doing something together with God, let us seek quickly, diligently, with all haste, that we might take a hold of these graces and grow in them equally so that we can be the beautiful creature that God wants us to be. I'm looking forward to singing the new song. If there's dancing, I tried to look that up. I couldn't support that one way or another. If there's dancing in heaven, I'll get to finally do it. Notice who provides this ability, though. It's Jesus. Once again, we go back to our precious faith that we share together. It is Jesus Christ who is the answer to all of this. If you need more patience, it's Jesus. If you need more love, it's Jesus. If you need more brotherly affection, it's Jesus. 
if you need more virtue and knowledge, it all goes back to the one who gives us everything. It goes back to Jesus Christ. And we should pursue all of these things. And we should practice now because we know that someday we will be perfected. Anyone who's engaged, any type of activity, as I just said, whether it's riding a horse or singing or playing an instrument or some type of dance or performance, everyone knows that you must practice over and over and over again to excel. Are you practicing at these graces? Do you think about whether you're patient? Do you consider whether you love enough? Do you consider whether you have virtue? Do you consider knowledge? And by that, again, I mean the intimate relationship that you have with God that comes from the heart and not just the head. If we want to perform at our best for Jesus Christ, and we should want to, we must, with all diligence, with haste, practice and do these things honestly together when we can. It's part of why we're here. It's part of the beauty of this. I think this comes down going back to verse 11. So for an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly unto the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Jesus Christ. You see, the goal is someday we will be in perfection in heaven. But it made me think of what Christ said when he taught them how to pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, right now, all the saints who've gone on before us are in perfect unity, perfect harmony, perfect step, praising our Lord. Jesus tells us we should pray that it would be the same way on earth as it is in heaven, which means we have to practice, which means we have to work together, which means we can't put it off till next week and the next week and the next month. That means we have to know God now and we have to work toward these things now because we should want, as Christ commanded, for it to be on earth like it is in heaven. I'm going to come to a conclusion here. And hopefully next week we'll get a little further into verse 5. And I hope through all of my examples and maybe a little bit of silliness that you begin to think of something that you know is just beautiful in the way it works together. I don't know what that is in your life. I don't know what it is that sometimes will move you and stir you in a way that's just different. But as you contemplate that, I pray that you will think about these graces and how they are to work together to make you who you are. And that it's only through the power of the precious faith that we have in Jesus Christ and his knowledge that he has given to us because those who have been saved are new creatures that we can take hold of his godliness godliness, and to the limited degree that we can pursue after him. Knowing him is to try and be like him. And so we have a tremendous challenge before us today to pursue him. And besides all these things, or in addition to all these things, or to supplement 
all these things, we need to add to our faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall never be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Pray with me for just a minute. Lord, we come to you today. Lord, I thank you for the beauty of your scripture. Lord, I thank you for the depth. Lord, I thank you that you draw us in, that your spirit speaks through us, that the word is alive and can teach us how we are to live. Lord, I pray that we would all have an image in our mind of something that we know of that is beautiful. Lord, remembering that beauty is an aspect of you. Lord, beauty is something that you put in our hearts. Or we may find differences in what we find beautiful. But Lord, beauty is not purely in the eye of the beholder. Beauty is rightness with you. And so, Lord, I pray that as we go throughout our lives and we are moved from time to time of things that are beautiful, that you would put us into remembrance that you want to move the same way in our lives. Lord, that you want to come alongside us and move to sing with us, to dance with us, to move together, that we can grow in these graces to be more like you. Lord, that we would only let you lead. All too often, I try to lead myself, and I don't follow. Lord, I pray that you would help us to follow you, the one who is perfect at virtue, who is perfect at patience, perfect at loving others, perfect in knowledge. Lord, may we depend on you and follow you and your lead in all that we do. In your name we pray. I think I'm going to close that way this morning. Does anyone have any thoughts on their mind? All right. I appreciate everyone coming today. A couple of quick reminders. Uh, The nominating committee will meet in just a few minutes.